Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. I'm ripping up the cards, legacy style. The Blood Rage is in a legacy game. Oops. Well, I guess I'll need to listen to your interview with Matt Leacock and Rob Davio on their game Pandemic Legacy. So, um, do we have any scotch tape? Hey guys, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 78, Who Wants to Live Forever? We're a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And Marty, I am beside myself. I'm so excited for this episode. I've been counting it down. It's been marked off on my calendar forever. You've been on like pharmaceuticals to try to keep you calm during this whole thing. Are you going to be okay? Can you make it through this? I did did check my bowels before I went potty, that is, my pee. (laughs) So I didn't wet myself. TMI. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I meant, I, you know, not that. You know, my my bladder, not the bowels. The bladder. Yeah, bowels. Whatever. Okay, bladder's fine. No, there's a big difference, dude. I know there is, man. But I, oh, I'm just so excited. This is this is going to be an incredible, outstanding, humongous, enlightening. Wait a minute. We, it's not going to be enlightening because they can't spoil anything. No, they can't. They can just talk about the game Pandemic Legacy, but they can't spoil spoil anything and i'm sure that's the hot game right now tony i know you go out there and look at the bgg hot list and it's sitting up there and everybody's talking about how they're playing but everybody's kind of hush hush because you can't give anything away but you'll see people take pictures of them ripping cards and throwing them away so i I, i'm gonna have to kind of live vicariously through you because i'm not getting a copy you are i can't wait to see what you think of it oh me me too i've been waiting and waiting and i and i hate that it got held up but it is on its way and i am tracking that truck right now kind of like we track santa claus (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I did want to, before we get over there, and I can't believe I'm delaying this, but I I do want to give a big shout out to Jerry Reese, a listener of the show. He invited me and my wife up to a football game. He's he's a Virginia Tech uh, alumni, and our alumni selves, NC State Wolfpack, were playing. He said, hey, why don't you guys, and you couldn't make it. Right. I, I could not. That was fall break for my son, who's from NC State. So he was coming home that weekend. And he invited me up and, and my wife and we got to tailgate with him. And then we went to a game. Thank goodness the people were kind because the team sucked. <laughs> Did you get rained on? Oh, man. They came around and told us to seek shelter. And then we had to then they because it was an ESPN game, Marty, they had to hit their time. So mm-hmm. they wouldn't let the fans in the stadium until 15 minutes before kickoff. So you had to have 60,000 people being shoved through the gates and to get it into the stands so that we could get to the game. And it, But it was a great time. Jerry, thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. That was incredible. And guys, if you would like to take time <laughs> and invite Marty and I to other events, we would love to be invited. I'll bring you a box of moon pies as well. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I hate I couldn't make it. But I was watching the game on TV and I was kind of like, man, I'm so glad I'm not there because I'm a very loud, a temperamental fan and I would have been yelling like crazy. Oh, it was so funny because Virginia Tech is not having a good good season. And, and I was being sarcastic when we were up and the guy looks at me, one of Jerry's friends, he goes, you can't be sarcastic. You're winning. And then when we were down 21 to 10, I looked at him and said, can I be sarcastic now? And he goes, yeah, of course you can. 
<laughs> well, that's good. At least it was a, fr- a friendly fans out there. I'm glad you had a, a great time. I bet it was uh, pretty up there in the mountains too. Oh, it was gorgeous up there. So what else we got? Um, didn't we have a contest? Oh, we did. We had that broken token contest where we gave away an insert of somebody's choice to broken token. Right. And we had over 150 plus uh, entries and we selected a winner through the random.org and someone who's been a long member of the guild won, Marty. Really? Who was it? Asking as if I didn't know. His name is Marshall Wells. Uh, Mr. Great Swords. I think that's what his BGG is. And um, I'm pretty sure that's because I've always enjoyed that one. But he won and he's gotten back into it. And so thank you all for doing that. And in a future show, we're going to go through all the various type of, man, we got so many things we need to go through on all the contests. We keep saying we're going to go through them and we never do. Yeah. One of the questions we asked on the contest was what kind of insert would you want? And so it's really interesting now that we have all this data to analyze and see what's the most popular insert from Broken Token. And we'll actually share that with them too. And we just got to find it what but the broken token no the answers that takes work on our part oh. and in this show it's about as little work as possible that's right however i did do a little prep for this show are we ready to go over there marty i i, I don't think i can sit on my hands much longer they're going numb let's do it we don't need your bowels in any sort of uproar guys we are more than excited to have two of the premier designers out there in the world joining us tonight one matt leacock you know him guys he is well known as the game designer which has been accredited with loading target shelves full of games okay one game and we all go there and we straighten it out known as pandemic sort of kind of like the co-op game that everybody goes to his designs were also forbidden island forbidden desert the expansions for pandemic and roll through the ages the bronze age and then most recently thunderbird and we were lucky enough to have joining us rob davia Everybody knows Rob from his Risk Legacy, that game that you're like, really? You want me to do what to a card? You want me to write on what? As well as Heroescapes. He's got over 60 games, and it all goes back to Betrayal on House on the Hill. Most importantly, and this is what throws me off, Rob was invited to be the color commentary for a Monopoly tournament. That blows my How do you color commentate Monopoly? Either way, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I also want to say that Rob also has credit for making Buffy the Vampire Slayer game. And as an avid Buffy fan, nice. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I, to, to be honest, I had I get more credit than I deserve on that. It was uh, my my good friend Bill was working on it at Hasbro, and Hasbro was in the middle of a, one of its many corporate moves, and Bill couldn't move, so I finished it up. But most of the credit goes to him. But I love that game. And you have uh, credit, too, for one of the hardest to find now most expensive Star Wars games, Queen's Gambit. Mm -hmm. And I will repeat that. That was my friend Craig's game, mostly. Um, (laughs) And uh, I named it and I wrote the rules and I did a lot of playtesting on it. But there, yeah, it was really... It's really Craig's game. So keep naming games that I almost worked on, and I'll, uh, I'll keep telling you how I didn't. <laughs> well, bo- well, both of you two can, can attest to working on the rules is probably one of the hardest things you have to do in a game. Well, that's, that's certainly true. Yeah, Matt, Matt doesn't like doing rules as much as I do. So when we work together, I tend to do them more. And then he goes through with a scalpel in a good way. And and, uh, and cleans up my sloppy language. Well, uh, well, we we've been going on a rule bashing parade here on rolling dice and taking names, but we're not going to go there today. No, what we are going to do though is talk about 
a game that you have worked on pretty closely with uh, Rob and working with Matt. I mean, one of the hottest games out right now, Pandemic Legacy. You two got together and, and worked on that. And here's the question. So whose idea was it to take Matt's chocolate and mix it with Rob's peanut butter to create two great tastes that go great together? It was Matt's I'm trying to think. I think it might have been Sophie Gravel's idea originally. <laughs> okay. The good folks at Z-Man. It wasn't my idea. I do like that I'm the peanut butter. Like, the <laughs> is, is peanut butter because some people are deathly allergic to peanut butter, and I think some people are deathly allergic to the idea of writing on a board or ripping up a card. So I think that's an accurate reflection. I was uh, told at Gen Con in 2013, I always have to do the math, that Matt was looking for me. He wasn't at the show. And uh, so when I got back from Gen Con, I uh, completely forgot. And then a couple weeks later, remembered. And then uh, got in touch with him via Twitter, I think, because I didn't have his email. And then we emailed. And then he asked about, you know, what collaborating on a pandemic legacy. That's right. Uh, and I got a, I got a very big yes. And I think we were off to the races shortly after. Yeah, I found that email because you mentioned it. I did. <laughs> I did. It I made did a like big a, impression on me. Yeah, I did like a 150 point type. Just yes. Right, I think that might have been it. Aren't you too worried that you're going to be arrested for printing money? I mean, come on, pandemic legacy. <laughs> uh, well, I've been starting up my own company for the past three years. So uh, it would be nice to um, be printing money. But uh, it, it's it's off to a good start good reviews uh so it's been it's been a hell of a week oh i'm sure it has and y'all just got back from essen i mean how was the uh, the matt you were over there as well weren't you yeah i was over there for a couple weeks in europe so just recovering from the jet lag now uh about a week in uh essen and it was a great show it's great there's tons and tons of people this year How, how was it received how was legacy received over there uh, well, it was a machine over there in the Z-Man booth. They really knew what they were doing. They had disposable uh, boards, so you could play um, a couple months of the game and get a feel for what it's like to play one game and then you know open up little packages. They had custom-built packages for the show. Um, so it was, it was really nicely handled and a lot of activity and a lot of buzz. So it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah, I was, I was in, just impressed beyond belief at how smooth they had this demo kit working. And uh, they were letting you start at the top of the hour and you had to sign up and you would get about 50, 55 minutes in and then they would kind of clear it almost like changing over a table in a restaurant and get rid of the old things they had written on and set up a new kit that they would break open. And it was, it was like clockwork. Yeah. It allowed you to get it just a taste of it without spoiling too much. Yeah. And, and speaking of spoilers, I know that people have been worried. It's like, you're not going to have them spoil anything already. It's like, no, they're, they're not dumb enough to spoil anything for anybody that, that wants to play it. <laughs> so I know we can't dig into too much, but I mean, here's the idea. You've got the theme of the, the pandemic. You've got uh, diseases that are spreading across the world. And you've got the legacy mechanic where the game and the board and everything evolves over time. And I know people may be a little bit leery of one or the other. It's like, well, pandemic's okay. I haven't played it in a while. Or it's like, oh, legacy. I'm not sure about burning or ripping up cards. So here's a question. How can you help the def- the, the, the listeners on the fence decide whether to buy it or not? Uh, Matt, you want to? I can sure. take that. Uh, yeah, well, you take it. You take it. Well, what we've tried to do here is definitely uh, different. And um, so it, it requires a bit of a, a mind shift. I, I sometimes say it's like going to a concert rather than listening to the album, right? You're, you're, you're signing up for an experience that will be probably about 18 games, maybe a little bit uh, less if you do well or a little bit more if you lose more. But it's 
it's like being in a TV show if we did it right. That every game is like an episode in a TV show and and you are going to go through an entire uh, season. So there's a strong narrative component that starts from the beginning and continues throughout. There, You are never required to burn cards. Um, there are permanent changes <laughs> to the game. I, I You know, uh, although... I, I have a friend. She well, was no, I, just, I, I saw somebody on Twitter burn a card. That's why I brought <laughs> yeah. that up. And I thought yeah, that was no, pretty that awesome. Mi- that might have been my friend. I'm not sure. She was one of the playtesters, and they decided to burn it. And then it wasn't burning gloriously enough for their taste. So they like, <laughs> brought it outside, and I pour, like, poured vodka on it or something, and then lit it on fire so they could get the maximum like video effect. I, you know, I, If you're on the fence, I, I don't know what to say. Like it's It combines storytelling, cinematic plotting and board games and role-playing games it it, it, like the reason we're avoiding spoilers is there are honest like plot points to the game that are um either expected or unexpected or you know some combination and the game is you when you start game one it's very much like pandemic and by the time you get to the end it's very much inspired by pandemic and along the way you have to kind of keep up with what the game's throwing at you so it is it is like running a gauntlet I would just add that the uh, legacy format is really interesting. I mean, it, it, it frees you up as a designer. If you go all in and say, hey, you know, these are going to be permanent changes, you can do things in the design that you never dream of with uh, the design that you're going to be replaying over and over again. So um, we really went for it. And I, I think uh, uh, the end result kind of speaks for itself. If, if you get a chance to try it out, you'll see some of the... I mean, it allows us to be much more dramatic with the the decisions in, in the design. Oh yeah. Speaking of trying it out, I know that it's sitting right now on a truck on its way from a store that we ordered it from straight to Tony's house. Right, Tony? You're, you're probably tracking it now on GPS to know where it is. <laughs> well, and I am beyond excited because as I've told Matt previously, I mean, Rob, I don't know if you realize this, but Matt came on our show for a previous game, Thunderbirds, and my wife stuck her head in at the computer and waved at him. She all went fangirl on him. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> because we, we play pandemic every month. That's why I'm excited about it for the hardcore pandemic players that people are like, why do you play it every month? We just love the challenge of the fact that we don't continually always win. So for legacy, how is it going to be as hardcore players? How are I, we're going do a story. What is it that I can take back to them and say, guys, understand that this game is changing a little bit, or is it changing? Well, it'll be a challenge because even if you are a hardcore player, your knowledge of how to play Pandemic will make you start playing and playing well right away. The game starts in January and goes through December. But sooner rather than later, there will be new things coming at you that you'll have no experience with. That's about as far as I can say about it. That's right. And the game will adapt to your level of play. So um, that's another element that's in there. So you, it's not going to be a cakewalk either way. Yeah, the more you win, the harder it gets. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. We can, we can manage that. And, and Marty, you t- talked about burning the card up. That's one thing we've read and people have said, you know, we're hardcore gamers here. We love our stuff. But yet you expect us to destroy our game. We can't do that. We'll pimp it out. But it's not true. You don't have to rip up cards, do you? Well, I mean, I'm not going to jump through your window and shout at you if you don't. But. <laughs> it's your game. Yeah, it's, it's all, your game. All we're doing is trying to communicate our intent. So, yeah. yeah um, uh, give it a try. Yeah. I like to tell people, like, you don't keep the pizza box when you're done with the pizza, right? 
And that's a lot more cardboard that you're throwing away than a card. Now, I will admit in pandemic, Matt, I've wanted to rip up a few cards. <laughs> <laughs> so peppered through some of these questions, uh, we're going to have some questions that actually came from our guild. Our guild on BGG comes up with some fabulous questions. And this one actually came from the guild. And here it is. What were the challenges of playtesting a legacy game? Oh, it would seem that it would be more difficult and time consuming as you change like the elements of how the game would change because you'd have to kind of play through everything again to see how it affects the game in the long run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It takes like normally if you got a play group to play like 10 or 12 games, you'd be like, I got some good feedback uh, of how my game is working. And here we're like, OK, they played two thirds of the way through the campaign. So it's it's a process where you you play test the beginning few games again and again until you feel like that's pretty good and then you design the next third or quarter of the campaign and then you get a different group to start over and go from there or maybe if things went well you can get a group to pick up where they left off and so it's this iterative process that you you keep pushing it further and further out but it takes a lot longer yeah it can be a bit daunting i mean it's uh if you're figuring 45 minutes to 60 minutes per game and 18 games in a in a session for any given group, that's that's a lot. I mean, we we uh, asked our testers to videotape themselves, and so we we just had hours and hours of a video to uh, review. Um, so it's a it's a it's a long process. Kind of as a follow up question, you know, how many play t- testers did you have involved? How long did the play testing you know go? Well, there's the early play testing where it's just some of my friends or my family saying, you know, can you try a game or two or Matt's family or I don't have a number of how many groups we had once we got going. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was um, and we had groups switch in and switch out. So the, the one group that I remember is we were mostly done, but we hadn't watched live a group play to the end. And we found a group at Gen Con willing to play the entire campaign over the course of three nights. Wow. So they would go to Gen Con and then they would show up at like 6.30 or 7 and play till 1 in the morning, three nights in a row. And they made it to all but the last game right, before we ran out of time. And I have to say, I do not recommend playing this that way. <laughs> it was exhausting. It's, it's <laughs> exhausting. exhausting. It's like binge watching a TV show and you think it's going to be great. And then around two thirds of the way through, you're like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I imagine right? watching Game of Thrones in like one night, you know, one just, night and you're like, oh, it. it's just more of the say, oh, I just want to go to bed. Like, take your time. <laughs> take your time. You know? Oh, man. Well, what was the most challenging aspect of bringing pandemic to the legacy. Matt, what, what was it? Here's your baby. How, how were you able to let him babysit? How did you let Rob babysit? <laughs> oh, we, it, was a, it was a total collaboration. It wasn't a, I mean, I think uh, we, we've got uh, different strengths, so it was, it was great to work with Rob in that. Um, he's an excellent writer, um, so he brought all sorts of under, you know, elements of understanding when it came to stories, and then I brought in some of the mechanical knowledge of pandemic and, you know, words and pictures and you know you, you you tackle this i tackle that it's it's a huge project so having a collaborator is just amazing i'm not sure i i would be up for the to the task to, to take something like this on myself so what was the biggest challenge though geez i don't know i mean uh <laughs> i think it's just the enormity the scale of the thing yeah i can think of two things that we had to tackle one right at the beginning mm-hmm. and one sort of in the middle of the development at the beginning we had to figure out how to get the game to be harder if you won and easier if you lost. Mm -hmm. Like what were sort of the structure, you know, 
we, it, you know, the final game is you, um, it starts in January and goes to December. And if you win a month, you go to the next month. And if you lose, you get one more chance to win that month before going to the next month and figuring out that that was sort of our architecture of how many games and how it moved took a little, I don't know, it did, I don't know if it took that long, but it was really confusing at the beginning trying yeah. to figure out how to pace it and plot it out. But then once we got there, it helped. And then I'm not going to spoil it, but in the middle, there was like one <laughs> mechanism. Yeah. yeah. There was like one <laughs> thing we wanted the players to do and we couldn't find the rules and the components to do it well. And the game would go and we get to a play test group and every one of them would get to that area and be like, nope. And then we try something else and it was like, nope, nope. And then finally we found a way to do what we wanted to do at that section. Right. But that was just... Required a large amputation. Yeah, it was, <laughs> some, it was a lot, of, a lot yeah. of false paths going down to get yeah. that right. It's, re- it's reassuring that we had that, though. I mean, when we're working on new projects now. Okay, we, we made it through that. We can, we can do that kind of thing again. Yeah. Okay, so here's another question uh, uh, from the Guild. So Pandemic, as, as Tony mentioned earlier on, shows up in on Target shelves. So it's becoming kind of mainstream. It's got a good presence there. Likewise, people are very familiar with the game Risk. And then, so Risk Legacy gives a familiarity to it. So when you designed this, did you have the broader commercial market in mind? Or were you just more focused on, on the hobby stores and then hoping maybe it would catch on outside of the hobby stores? Oh, I don't think we really thought of this as a mass market game in any way. I think it's more of a hobby game. I don't think you'll see Legacy, for example, a Risk Risk Legacy in, in Target. Yeah, this is for people who were veteran. Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy in my head were both games for people who had played the base game a lot and were sort of veterans that were looking for like a new challenge or a new way to play. And we do recognize, and I've seen it online, that there are people saying, oh, I, I never played Pandemic, but I got Legacy because I heard about it but they're more rare than the people who who know the game. Almost you can almost start game 1 within minutes of playing because there's very few things that are different from Pandemic to Pandemic Legacy game 1. Right. We we designed the game to support new people who pick it up. So it's a yeah. fully self-contained game. You can learn how to play base Pandemic out of the box, try it a few times. We encourage you actually to try it a few times just yeah. without the legacy components. And then and then you know once you get your your feet wet, you can jump into the campaign. All right, but so for us veterans, we can just go right into the campaign. Oh, you can go for it. Yeah, you can. It's, yeah, yeah it, it'll be familiar to you. You can just get going. Yeah, you'll skim the rule book and see like what the new legacy bits are, like panic level for cities and the legacy deck, and uh, that might be it. Right? Yeah, the characters are different. Characters are a little different. Their powers are a little different, but it could be the type of thing where you're like, it's like pandemic, except this, this, and this. And we and we call it out for veteran players. You can you can look it up pretty quickly, and it's color coded in the rule book. Marty, I cannot screw up this rule book. This is awesome, dude. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite page of the rule book is the one that's just uh, a collection of rectangles for new stickers. That's, that's yeah, all it's it an entirely blank page that it won't be blank by the end. Oh, that's awesome. So we know this is part one. How far along is part two? We've started, but we're not done. <laughs> Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we just thought, you know, we'd get out. That's good, because people are are wondering, you know, hey. Yeah, no, I want to keep the attention on on season one right now. Sure. I mean, we have to be way ahead because of how long it takes. I mean, uh, Pandemic Legacy came out in about 10 languages. 
I think. Exactly 10 languages, in fact. It's yeah. exactly uh, 10 languages. So, wow. um, it, you know, it takes Z-Man a long time to get this all out to translators, and then they have to lay it all out, and then they have to manufacture it and send it all over the world. Um, so we need to be way ahead of that because it takes a long time. It, 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 there's like there's really interesting challenges that come from designing any game, but particularly a game with stickers and, and multi-language because German has about 50% more characters than English. So if you're designing a tiny sticker and you fill it with English words, that means that German won't fit in it. Right, so we have to think about localization from day one. Yeah, so like, how how big is this? And we're like, oh, we might want one more sentence to explain this. Like, mm, then it won't work in German. So you're thinking about all sorts of strange things right from the very beginning. Incidentally, Rob, I, I saw an unboxing of the Japanese version, and that compresses quite a bit. Plenty of plenty of room in that rule book. Yeah, it's great. Okay. <laughs> well, Tony asked, you know, how far are you into season two? I mean, do you have an idea how far in the future you want to go? How many seasons you want to make? I mean, is it is it five seasons in a movie? Uh, I think that it, <laughs> six seasons in a six season. I'm a, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you got six seasons in a movie. You got um, no, Well, we we don't know, and then like it, we're getting way ahead of ourselves because season one's been out a week. And so we needed to start season two. <laughs> You're scaring the crap out of me, Marty. <laughs> yeah. Well, like we had to start season two because we have to assume like, okay, let's say season one goes well. Well, you know, we need to be ready with season two. So we needed to start that, you know, a timetable. But that's that's about all we are because – you know, there are people like you. You're still waiting for the first one in a truck. Well, I've got to ask this this one, and this will pull us away a little bit from away from pandemic legacy. But it's it's a great question from Argil. What's another game that you would like to transition into the legacy style? Both of y'all to answer, and and Kick the Ride <laughs> is a valid answer. <laughs> I, I talked to Rich Summer about doing Uno. <laughs> <laughs> Combine two of his passions. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I haven't given much thought. Have you, Rob? I, I, I know the parameters that that work pretty well. It has to tell a story, right? Pandemic at the beginning was like, here's the world, and you are characters, and you are fighting diseases. That leads to a story. If it gets too abstract or too euro, where the theme is sort of added later, I'm gonna pick a game. It's a game I enjoy. I, you know, but like Fresco. Ooh. Right. Like it's you're moving cubes around. But at no point did I really feel like I was an artist doing well, now that I talk about it, I can see it. But anyway, um, if, if it to me, it has to have a good story hook. What are where are some characters? What's the world? Where are they going? And then how does the game go from there? Also, um, the simpler the underlying rules are of the base game, the easier it is because you're only going to make it bigger. If it's a very complex, very engaged, lots of rules sort of game, it's hard to make it more so. So Legacy Twilight Imperium 3 is right out. For me, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I will retire before I'd finish that probably. But Matt, did you when you were doing this with Rob, did you think about all the expansions in Pandemic and how those would fit in? Was that part of the design as well? Uh, Well, I mean, certainly you've got the whole Pandemic universe and this has got... it's it's impossible to ignore all that. Uh, one of the things I enjoyed about this design was uh, it's all self-contained, so it's easy to uh, as a as a player, uh, things gradually become available to you, so you can learn things incrementally. In a sense, it's kind of like a video game where you play a level and then you master a skill and you move on. Uh, Legacy games afford you that that luxury, so you don't have to read some massive rule book. You can get going. Uh, that's one of the things I enjoyed about 
this game is all in one box and you can learn it incrementally. And uh, so speaking of this particular game, so uh, let's say I go out and I buy Red Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and I finish it. What's the appeal or drive of going out and getting the blue version and and playing through the game again? Um, well, the first thing I need to mention is they're identical games with different box covers. <laughs> yeah, I should have said yeah. that. I, I knew, I knew well, that. Well, no, no, because... I, because of some of the stuff I put in Risk Legacy that was like kind of, you know, surprises and Easter eggs, people are coming up to me and saying, what's the difference? And I said, they're the same. And they wink at me. They're like, yeah, sure they are. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, they really are. Because if they were different, I would say something like, well, you'll see or hmm, I don't know. You know, I, I would tip my head. I'm not going to have not going to fool people over big purchases. So they're the same. My thought when I and I've worked on two and I'm finishing up a third legacy game is I, I never expect people to to play through the campaign more than once because you've gotten, you know, 15 to 20 games out of it. But if you really had a great time or you wanted to play with a different group, you if you play it again, you play it the first time for the narrative surprises. You would play it a second time to see if you can really kick its ass, right? Knowing what's coming ahead, you could be like, okay, what, what you know, you would, you can plan not only for your game, but you can plan for the whole campaign because you know the whole campaign. And then it's like setting it on a really sort of challenging level for the group to try to run the gauntlet at the optimal level. But having said that, I'd like to say again, I never expect anyone to do it. It's not part of the design. It's just something that comes out of the design. I think there may be another opportunity where if you have a movie you watch, you love it, you've seen it, and you bring one of your friends to that same movie and watch it with them, you're not going to be like spoiling what happens in the movie. You're just going to be looking at them, kind of enjoying their reactions to it. And I think you could do something similar with this where you could play it again with another group and just really enjoy the reactions that they have without necessarily steering it in any direction. So yeah, like to, to echo what Rob said, I mean, you can play it the first time for the surprise, play it a second time with the same group for mastery, or you might play it with some other people just to just kind of like vicariously enjoy <laughs> uh, the surprises through their eyes. So Rob, you said, you know, you've got three legacies in there. Matt, you've worked on Pandemic, Pandemic Expansions, a whole bunch of other cooperative games. Is there a part of game design that is getting harder for y'all to do as your experience in game grows? Well, I, I made a big shift three years ago from going from Hasbro to my own company. So I've kind of really had the challenge over the past couple of years of growing a company and, and going through all of the challenges of startup and learning how to run a, you know, run a company and getting away from what had been, I, I could occasionally do some more complex designs at Hasbro, but some of them were intentionally very simple for kids. So I've sort of done a lot of learning over the past couple of years. And uh, I'm, I'm not trying to think if there's anything harder that's come out of it. I've just finished a very hard period, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, for me, I, I think things are getting easier. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to feel like I know what I'm doing a bit. Although when it comes to generating ideas and that initial spark of an idea, I still feel totally clueless most of the time. It's, it's only once I've got a core game kind of established that I, that my process really kicks in and I, I, I can take it across the line. But I don't know if it's, I, I've heard some novelists talk about this where they just have no idea. They're scared every time they start their first, their next novel that they might not have one in them. Um, I still feel sort of like that. Oh, yeah. I, let me clarify. I feel that way, too. If I have an idea and I'm excited, until that game can play in some form, no matter how roughly, it's always terrifying. Like, do I know what I'm doing at all? 
right? And then finally, you get one prototype where people are like, hey, this is fun. And then I completely relax and I can just... Yes, then you're like, oh, then I'm like, oh, there. Okay, there, all right, there's something. All right, okay. All right, I didn't lose my entire ability to figure out a game. But it's it's until that happens every time, it's there every time. And some games are just like giving birth. <laughs> so, but I mean, Matt, you just started your own company, right? And Rob's had one growing. That's kind of scary and on its own, right? For me, uh, the new company, well, I've been doing games part-time for, I don't know, I mean, Pandemic came out in 2007, so eight years, and I've been you know, trying to get them published since I was a little kid, actually. So switching to full-time has been a huge relief, because now I can spend more time on it, and it's easier to get stuff done. Um, and I just count myself lucky that I can that I can actually do it. So that's that's been really nice. What lessons taken from Pandemic and Risk Legacy were applied to Pandemic Legacy? What's something that you saw in both those games is like, ooh, I can have a chance to tweak it and change it when you came together to make this new game? Uh, it's a good question. I'm just trying to think back because it's been a few years since we started. There's a different tone to Pandemic Legacy from Risk Legacy, and that was intentional. Since Risk is sort of more of a kid's game or more of a simple game, it's more of a cartoony game. I made Risk Legacy more cartoony. Like I was just having fun with the kind of the whole idea of this permanent evolving narrative. And so people who played it will realize that the things that you open are almost like a comic book. Like I wasn't taking it all that seriously. And what I liked about Pandemic was the tone was a little grittier. And because it's a, a co-op game, we could change the pacing differently. Like the game could just go and your job was to keep up with it. And so the the writing and the tone and the decisions could be like a little more grounded and a little bit more like a movie and less like a comic book, um, which I liked. I'm not sure that's a learning bringing into it, but I, like coming into it, I kind of had figured out from Legacy some things that worked and some things that didn't, like how to try to avoid some feedback loops and how to set these sort of triggers that would let you open things at certain times and what sort of things were good to make permanent and what things were good to reset at the beginning of every game. Cause figuring that out is kind of key. If everything's permanent, then individual games don't mean anything. And if nothing is permanent, then you don't have a legacy game. You get sort of a campaign game maybe with scenarios. You brought in one uh, thing that I thought was really um, smart and that, uh, you know, giving players the tools to deal with the problems that you introduce. Um, you know, you, you can't anticipate all the different, issues players will end up with, but if you give them uh, appropriate tools to, to deal with their situations and let them do the right thing, you basically have to, you have to kind of trust your players and give them the right um, materials, and, and then the game is, to some extent, self-balancing. Yeah, man, I hadn't really thought of that. That's, that's kind of interesting, you know. How could they screw it up? Because we're people. We, we're going to do that, and that's, that's interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, we needed to build in plenty of fail-safes, and there's some interesting psychological things that probably won't talk about here that you can, you can, that can come into play. So it, it, it's definitely a fun little Petri dish to, to work in. Well, we can talk about them later. I mean, we'll, we'll invite you back. That's not a problem, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky, I have a monthly gaming group and that love Pandemic. If, if you don't have that gaming group, should you start the legacy? Well, you have a spouse, someone who likes to play games that's in your house because it's a good couples game actually i've um i've also seen a tremendous number of people online talking about how they're solo playing it that that's they're true. they're tr they're treating it like a puzzle 
right? They're just setting out a number of characters and kind of, because it's cooperative and they're kind of running through it as like, almost like building a jigsaw puzzle, like an entertaining thing to solve. So I already know that people are playing it solo and, and, and are having a good time. But if you're if you're someone who likes to play games with people, there, again, there's no reason you have to play it in a weekend, right? You can get together a couple times a year or, or, or something It'll and play a couple games and it'll take you like a year and a half to do it. And the idea I always think of with these games is they're designed for most of the same people to play it most of the time. But if someone comes in or someone drops out or someone sits down and it's July, you could be like, okay, here's what's happening so far in this TV show. You know, like this happened and then this happened and this happened and this happened and here we are today. And, you know, it won't be – it was just like a TV show. They won't quite have everything, but they'll be like, okay, I get it. Matt, you've been doing a lot of the, the co-op style games. And most recently, Rob, you've been doing the legacy style games. Because of that, do you ever feel typecast as a designer now? Uh, I don't. Um, publishers, are, for, for me, are just looking for quality games. So I, I've had zero problem with that. I feel like uh, I have a certain sense for what the audience might expect of me, but um, I think everybody appreciates a good game. So I haven't had any problem with that. I haven't had a problem with it yet. I mean, people come up and say, hey, I want one of those legacy games. I'm like, they, they, and I'll say that they take too long and they say, okay, well, give me another game you're working on. Um, I mean, things that interest me are games that tell a story or have a narrative. So that's probably what I'll design just because I like to do so. But I have a number of games that are, I'm finishing up as well that are, are just you know, non-legacy you games that, you know, infinitely replayable and you don't burn anything. So so I try to do a mix of those. I like the legacy like sort of game because it's just a, a different way to approach things, but I don't see myself doing them solely and I don't see myself doing them forever. So so Matt, are you as anxious as we are for Seafall? <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing that box because yeah, I know that that thing is a beast. Anxious or eager? Right? <laughs> so remember when Matt said he wouldn't want to do one of those by himself? By himself, yeah. Uh, I now totally agree. It's a, it's a project spent... that's twice as big as this, and it's half the designers. So you know, you do the math. Yeah, um, I could. I will. I will do a seminar sometime called Adrift. Why Seafall <laughs> took me three years. I made a ton of mistakes, some I could have avoided, some I couldn't have avoided, but I spent 10 hours, uh, I actually, 10 hours finishing up some last little bits today. By the end of this month, I expect to be no longer driving it. I will still be reacting to it, but I will no longer be the only, like, in charge of it. It'll it'll be downstream from me. Well, we would have been remiss uh, to our listeners if we didn't at least bring it up to kind of see what the status was and where That's it was. That's fine. Tony and I. <laughs> so, so, I mean, here's the short version. It was my first big game, my first big company. The biggest mistake I made was shouting about it at least a year, year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so when I tell people, why is it late? I said, it's not late. The announcement was early. There's a very, <laughs> you just have to look at it differently. It was very naive on my part. And, I have been very careful not to mention anything about it since then, other than I am still working on it. Another thing for people to keep in mind is I was growing a company and I needed to do a lot of um, consulting work to pay the bills. So there were weeks or one period, like months, where I just couldn't get to it. You know, again, like, because to redo it, to sit down and redo it would take weeks and then I'd have to find groups that would take months to, to play it. And then I, you know, and then finally I got the ability to really just sit down and dig in and hired a developer uh, this summer who's basically just beat this thing into shape and edited it and wrote it and uh, we're in the home stretch now so when there when there's an exact sort of 
hey, it's turned over and here's where we think it'll come out, uh, you will not be able to stop me from going door to door to everyone in the United States to talk about it. Well, and nobody wants to see it until it's ready for sure. It was just that Tony and I got teased with it last year uh, at BGG Con and got to play the demo. Yep. And that, that's a year ago. And I can't. And, and you've made all these changes to make it even better. I thought it was pretty good. It's, then, so we're just it's much tighter it. now, actually. It's the same idea, but the systems have reduced down but to like 70% of what they are. So it just plays faster and cleaner. And, and Matt, you know, you mentioned about giving the players the ability to handle their mistakes. When we demoed it, all of us, Rodney Smith, Marty, myself, uh, Keith Collins, uh, um, we were all playing and we screwed it up big time. It was, I bet Rob was sitting here <laughs> no, looking no, at us no, going, y'all are a bunch of idiots. No, you didn't screw it up. And anyway, we'll, this, we'll, we'll talk about, I will come back on the show when this thing is turned over and talk about there Seafall. Uh, we, we know, we're just, I'm sorry. It was just, no, it's fine. Funny. So here's the thing. What is one game that you wish you had designed in other words, if you had a favorite game by another designer, you're like, oh, I wish I'd have come up with that. I'm a big fan of War of the Ring. Oh, you're number two that said that out here on our show. Nice. Yeah, I, I just, I, I love working with a license because it's fun to figure out how to make the license work in a different medium. I, The Lord of the Rings story is not as simple as a lot of things like good versus evil. It's in there, but there's a lot of subtlety that Tolkien did and I just see it and I'm like man they, they kind of got everything in here it lets you more often than not you'll recreate the history that he had but every once in a while you get this alternate history that's kind of fascinating uh, for me I think the, the well I'll, I'll twist that a little bit and say that the design I played that really made me want to design games was uh, Civilization Francis Tresham's design as a kid that it was really I, I just loved how all the mechanisms interwove in that game and I was just hooked and it made me really want to dig in and understand how games worked. So I'm not sure that's the one I wish I had designed, but it was certainly the most influential in trying to get me making my own stuff. Yeah, actually, another game that I wish I could design but can is Love Letter. Only because I have sat down with like 15 or 20 cards off and on the past couple of years for an hour. And I'm like, nope. I'll get an idea and I'm like, okay, with a hundred more cards, I'm like, damn, I can't. <laughs> right. I, I'm like, I just do rock operas. I do like large campaign stuff. And, and I try to force myself to design something small to get that skill. And as of yet, um, I fail. Well, it's funny. I've, I've used that analogy before uh, in, in music. They always say the hardest song to write is the one that's most simple. The one that's really simple and catchy that everybody loves. It's, it's easy to write an opera. Yeah. It's hard to write that, that three minute catchy tune. Right. Same thing with love letter, I'm sure. Yep. So for the two of you, which do you is there a mechanism out there that is underutilized in the board gaming industry? Uh, it's just like asking an auto repairman, you know, which parts not using your cars enough. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm but, not but sure. But that's a valid answer. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a, a real shortage in lighting cards on fire. <laughs> Fill that niche. Well, let me seriously think about that and see if I can think of something. Well, it's funny because. I mean, I got interested in, in well, I, I ended up in my career not through math or mechanisms, although I can do both and appreciate both, but because of a love of like comic books and Dungeons and Dragons and narrative. And so I never think of like a game as its mechanisms. I think of it as a story. And so... I think that's why you and I collaborate so well because I'm complete opposite. I'm, yeah, I'm all about yeah, like, like cardboard when, algorithms. When we work together. He'll be worried that the story's not like coming together. I'm like, that's fine. That won't be a problem. I'm worried about the mechanisms. He's like, don't worry about that. We'll get those. Yeah. So it's hard for me to pull a mechanism out that I like but is underutilized. I can tell you I don't like auctions because I'm bad at them. 
I always get mad in the middle of the game because I'll overbid something or underbid or play the psychology wrong. And then I just beat myself up about it. And this is the last one from the guild. Do you all feel that a cooperative game is improved by adding the trader element to it? Personally, me? No, I, I, I like, I think it's different. I think, yeah, you know, it may mitigate some alpha gamer issues, but I don't think it's necessarily better. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, do you like, do you like a pure co-op or do you like a co-op with some sort of social deduction element in it? You know, they're two different types of games. Yeah, I feel like they're, they're loosely related in the sense that some of the players are cooperating, but I don't feel like they're, it's like a cooperative game with a twist. I feel like they're, they're two different genres. Yeah, I think it really, really fundamentally changes the way people play them. And I'm not saying one's better or, or the other's better. I, th- I think they're just very different. So, Well, before we let you two go, every time we have a guest on the show, and Matt knows this, we like to play a game with you, and we call that game Rank 'em. In this game, what we're going to do is we're going to give you three items, and you're going to rank those items in any order that you want. You can tell us why you ranked them that way. Pretty simple. Okay. And here's the first one. Here we go. <clears throat> it would help if I had the right page up. All right. Worker placement, auction, or tile laying? Matt, and since you've played before, we'll let you go first and show Rob how it's done. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm, I guess I'm immediately thinking of games that I enjoy and doing the most obvious thing. Boy, this is going to be really dull. <laughs> well, I know Rob's going to uh, rank certain things a certain way. Uh, let's see. Worker placement, auction, or tile laying. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave with tile laying and just give a shout out to uh, Tigers and Euphrates, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And so we're going to put that up on top. And then I'll... Uh, this will be like a Kinesia Fest. Uh, the next one I will rank will be auctions, because I think modern art is a work of genius. Um, I'll show my true Euro colors here to all of you. And then worker placement, I think, is uh, getting a bit tired, so I will put that on the bottom. Uh, So I can rank these in any order based on any criteria I want. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I played the straight man. Yeah, you played the straight man. (laughs) I was, like, trying to learn the rules, so I didn't have time to think of, like, a a joke that goes with it. Um, I will go with tiling auctions and worker placement and that order is the order that i learned them in was i was a kid so it goes from sort of like when i think of tiling i have fond memories of playing like dominoes or a game with my grandmother and then auctions goes a little bit later when i played some more involved games and then worker placement didn't really come around until later so in my head those are sort of filed away from in in different places of my development so they have like a different feel to them How's that? I'm going to almost go synesthesia. Yeah, I thought you were going to go with the things that I would like to light on fire the most. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, if there's a a second group of three, I will go with the fire. (laughs) Marty, are you going? Is it okay for us to cut like the Beavis and Butthead clips of fire, fire, fire? You know, (laughs) (laughs) fire. Fire, 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 fire. There, there it is. Um, Marty, for me, it's going to be worker placement auctions and tile laying just because these are the, the ones I would rather play in that order. How about you? Yeah, I'll probably go if, if I look at the ones I'd rather play. Mine is actually worker placement, tile laying, then auction because I, I can't bid worth a poop. Yeah, so. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Uh, number two from me becomes movies. Board gaming, knitting. (laughs) 
And Rob, you get to go first. I'm going to go board games, movies, and knitting. I always like to think that there's a basically a list in my head of things I will do with my free time. And that's the order that I would, you know, fill them. If I have free time, I'll play board games. If no one's around, I would watch a movie. Knitting's pretty far down because I don't know how to do it. So there would be a, a, a big gap between movies and knitting. A tremendous gap now that I think about it. <laughs> um, but that would be that would be the order. Uh, I'll lead off with uh, knitting, believe it or not. Not that I've ever knit, uh, nor do I plan to, but um, I may or may not have a product coming out next year that has knitting in it. Um, so that's way up on top. And then board games, of course, would normally be on top, but they're going to take a second place. And uh, not to be little movies, because it's one of the things I love to do with my wife. Uh, we go out and see a lot of movies. So in that order, they're, they're really all on top, I think, right now. Uh, so for me, and I want to hear him say this, because I want to know why Tony asked these things. <laughs> anyway, for me, it's, it's, it's going to be with uh, what I want to do in my free time. So it's board gaming, movies, and knitting. Uh, Tony, I, I got to know why. Where's this coming from? Well, it is based on free time. And I was just thinking, well, everybody says, you know, I could have put anything else in there behind board gaming and movies. I said, but what is something that maybe we could trip up our guests, Marty? What is something we could discover? So that's why I'm putting knitting in there. Like, you know, um, who was it? The big football and Rosie. Uh, what was Rosie? Do you remember? I just remember watching those football Rosie, players. Yeah. Rosie, Rosie Greer. Greer, and he was a knitter. Yeah, my wife's a big knitter. My daughter does some knitting, and my mom does. I mean, it's around me. It's a skill I don't need to learn because other people around me have it. Yeah, my wife crochets, so yeah. I yeah, that. I mean, and who knows? Maybe knitting could lead to making a uh, flexible board game. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm just throwing it yeah. out Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a stretch. Okay, so let me hear him get to mine. We'll drop, drop that one in. Okay, so January to April, May to August, or September to December? Mm, oh, gosh. And we'll go back to Matt and let him January start. January to April. May to August, September to December. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, so the year broken up in, into tri-thirds. In tri-mesters, you know. Uh, let's see. Well, we got to put the, uh, there's a summer one in there. <laughs> uh, May, May to August. May to August is, is definitely on top. It's um, always summer where you live. Well, it's not about the, the heat. It's about the light. I, I, uh, I'm. I don't know. I'm very sensitive to changes in light, so I like a long day. It's more more okay. time mm-hmm. under the sun. And then the other two are pretty flexible. I, I guess we could go with the spring, the uh, January to... Ah, oh, screw that. I, I can't... Those are the hardest months to get through in Minnesota where I grew up, and so screw that part of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Put that one on the bottom. Uh, I'm going to kind of reverse order them. September to December would be my favorite time of year. Like right now I live in New England and I'm looking out as the sun setting like blue sky and orange leaves and it's just sort of phenomenal. And then when it does get cold, it's sort of at the beginning and I got kids and Christmas season and it's great. Summer I like, I'm a big baseball fan, like the summer lifestyle and the longer life and more times hanging out. And then January through April in New England can go die in a fire. There we go, Matt. I got your fire. (laughs) Um, Or freeze to death, however you want. Like Mar- February and March around here is just, I've had enough. I mean, you had some snow this past winter, I bet, didn't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It managed to be the coldest February and the snowiest, which is nearly impossible to pull off. And Marty, I'm going to go with uh, Rob's eh, list as well. That's how I enjoy him too. I love the fall. Always have enjoyed the fall. Then the, the summertime and then uh, winter. Ugh. 
Uh, yeah, uh, I totally hear you. In fact, I'm kind of the same way. September to December, love the holiday season. Like my wife gets into decorating, everything's decorated now, and I got the kids and everything. And then May to August, and, and Rob, I'm a big baseball fan too, and I know spring is coming when I start hearing about spring training and the grass starts growing and I smell the the leather of a glove and that, that sort of thing. But the most brutal is like everybody else, January to April, that January, February, March time frame, I just cannot wait to get over. So there you go. And for the final one, so we can end this pain, I know y'all are thinking, hey, I'd rather have bamboo shoots put in me, but that's okay. <laughs> um, for, and lit on and fire. Lit on fire. Fire, 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 fire. Uno, phase 10, or rat attack tat, rat attack cat, or also known as golf, or whatever you want to call that game. Let's see, I can take that. So I'll, I'll choose rat attack cat first, number one, as a shout out to the game right friends that I've got, and also my kids love that game. Um, then Uno, then FaceTime, which I've never played, in fact. I am going to go with Phase 10 first because my mom, when she visits, uh, brings that game every time and plays with my kids who are older now, like 16 and 12, but they still play phase 10 with their grandmother. Um, and I have a great story about it. She was playing one time and I wanted to make a change to the rules to like speed something up so we could make dinner. <laughs> and, and she was like, you can't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, those are the rules. That's how you have to play. You can't just change rules because you don't like them. And I'm like, do you know what I do for a living? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but you didn't design this game. We're playing it by the rules. <laughs> and then later on, they did like an anniversary of this game where my rules were like an alternate way to play. And I like had the rules. I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have not played rat attack cat. So I unfortunately cannot discuss it in any way. We can uh, play it the next time you're over. Okay. <laughs> Fire it up. Um, Uno, I'm going to put Uno at the bottom, but behind the one that I haven't played because for every one interesting game of Uno, I find four that I play that take somewhere between six and 12 months. It's like a legacy <laughs> game. You're right. Yeah. It is. You just keep keep like, I, I mean, I like what they did. I understand why it's popular. I, I get it in a lot of ways, but you get that one game where it's like, are we shuffling the deck for the seventh time? Well, that's kind of like Flux. Yes. Yeah, you can have some great moments with it, and then you can have some moments where it, it just goes really wrong, and I tend to remember those. All right, so uh, Tony, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go Uno first because it's a childhood memory. That's one of the first card games I remember playing with my parents, and we played all the time, and they enjoyed it. And then you said Rat-a-tat-tat's like golf. The game golf. If you, yeah, you turn over two and you try to get the lowest score. Yeah. So I like that one as the the second. And I've had enough people tell me not to play Phase Ten that I've never played Phase Ten. So it's my last one. Um, for me, it's uh, Rat-a-tat cat for the same reason, Matt. Me and my daughter played that constantly. Between that and Slamwich, we, we, that was the games we loved. And then Phase 10, my wife still loves that. And then, of course, um, Uno. I, I, Rob, you hit the nail on the head. I, for every game I've played that, I've dreaded the other ones. It was awful. All right, well, gentlemen, we appreciate you hanging in there with us and playing our Rankum game. Our, our guild actually starting to to like this game for some odd reason, Marty. Because <laughs> they're, they're throwing out ideas and say, use these ideas instead because y'all stink. Yeah, exactly. But guys, thank you so much for all you do in the board gaming community. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. I mean, pa Pandemic Legacy, they asked on the Dice Tower, they said, what is the next big game? And I said, hey, it's coming out, Pandemic Legacy. And you've definitely got a hit and you pointed out, I cannot wait for to pick up my other copy to sit with that copy to keep 
building on it. That's incredible. And um, wish you the best of luck. So thank you for coming on. I will say that Tony has been taking a volume for the past couple of weeks when we got this set up because he's been so excited to have you two on <laughs> that he did a really good job staying calm in our interview because he's just been scratching at the walls. When they're coming on, when they're coming on. So he, he loves pandemic. I can't wait to hear, Tony, your experiences with Legacy and see how that uh, that goes. And a lot, that's that's the talk right now is pandemic legacy so you guys do have a hit on your hand and we can't see can't wait to see what else you do i know matt thunderbirds just now coming out and um uh, rob you're working on seafall yep. so uh, before we let you go no rob's working on seafall matt what you got anything you want to tell us that you're working on right now bunch of games yeah announcements <laughs> are coming okay i didn't know if there's anything like was coming up close that you can go ahead and tease with or anything like that. uh no not right now um more to come more to come more to come we'll look at that uh, that knitting game in 2016 yeah, very good. we're talking about rob you got anything you want to tease besides uh, actually i have a i have a game coming out uh right near the end of the year hopefully before before christmas called v wars which is from idw publishing there's a comic book uh called v wars of the same name and it's a it's a, a bit of a hidden trader game it actually has a three-part hidden trader there's the humans, the hidden vampire, and someone who has the virus who can be swayed to either side if they're not careful. Oh, that sounds cool. Oh, interesting. I'll be into that. Okay. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, we'd love to have you on again in the future, and uh, great success throughout the rest of the year. Hey, thanks Thank so much. you very much. Come back whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Essen's over, but we got BGG Con coming up, and that means that we get to see some of the new games that came out from Portal Games at Essen over here. I know, it's so exciting to when Ignacy makes it to Dallas and brings all that, but Marty, have you ever been to his website and seen all the stuff you can buy for his current games? Actually, I'm looking at it right now, and there's a lot of stuff there that I didn't even realize he had. Oh, I didn't either. Like all this expansion for Robinson Crusoe, where he's got new scenarios. He's got a new things to find, little wooden stuff for food, and probably, look, it may even have some snowstorms. And look, there's like Imperial Settlers exploration tiles. And Mysterium Motive. I, that was the expansion I talked about on a future um, podcast. Future podcast. <laughs> a previous podcast that we did. And check this out. The Imperial Settler uh, t-shirts. And actually, Vanessa got one of these at Gen Con. And I was jealous because I want one. So hopefully I can get one now. Well, if you want one at the show, you better bring the boy a cookie. Uh, I think we can handle that. Well, dude, you made it. You actually made it through without stumbling and bumbling over yourself. I know you were so excited, and I can understand why, because that was a lot of fun talking with them. Oh, two great guys in the board gaming industry, and I'm still shaking my legs because I need to run. So we're going to keep this short, aren't we? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> um, it's funny. I now, I now get why you called this show Who Wants to Live Forever because it's, it's pandemic and people are going to die. That's it. I mean, who wants to live forever? It's pandemic. It's legacy. That game, you know, it's not going to be one that you're going to keep rehashing or and all that. You've got that game's not going to live forever. You're the game you bought. So you need to go out. I'm serious. When when Rob was talking about how you need to try it at a harder level, put another one on your shelf. When when the various online stores do that deep discount or are they saying we need to clear some space i'm gonna be looking for that but you know what's ironic about this is that show uh, song who wants to live forever was written by queen for the movie highlander about a guy who's an immortal yeah i know okay. <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just kind of ironic i guess it's like everybody's gonna die except this song was specifically written about this guy who is going to live forever unless he loses his head because you know what tony what? there can be only one you're absolutely right and 
Oh, the TV show. I, I need to go back and watch that one again. Yeah, actually, this song was using that TV show several times, too. I actually really enjoyed it. I didn't watch Xena, but I watched Highlander, and they both came from the same, same around the same time from the uh, same companies. Before we get out of here, I do want to mention, Tony, I guess you've probably seen the hot Kickstarter that's going on right now. You ever heard of this game called, oh, uh, Scythe? You know, now that you mention it, I did see over in the Twitterverse some people talking about it. And occasionally when I go to the Kickstarter page, something about hot funding. I don't know what's going <laughs> yeah. on. So it's like the hot game that's out right now that people are playing that everybody's talking about is Pandemic Legacy. And the hot game that's currently on Kickstarter is Scythe. And this from some Stonemeyer games and from uh, Jamie Stegmeyer, who listens to our show and is a is a great guy. And I, I love the success he's having uh, with this campaign. I don't know if you've ever read a lot of his uh, blogs and articles, but this is one of these guys that really goes into detail about the economics behind how uh, Kickstarter works and and how to run a program and he helps out people giving them ideas on how to do crowdfunding and everything. So he's he's really getting this down to a science and I love seeing his analyzation and everything. And it's obviously working because uh, Scythe is just taking off like a wildfire. There's your fire reference again. I know. And what's really neat is it, it's the price point's not that bad for a game with miniatures. Lots of miniatures. This is a game that I'm interested in for two things. One, the theme is a steampunk type game with mechs. But really what drew me in is is when I saw an overview of the game and saw how the resource mechanic worked, I thought, hmm, that's kind of like Terra Mystica. And I was talking to Jamie offline and he said, hmm, guess what? It's kind of built around the idea of how Terra Mystica works. And it's like, well, I get that. So I love the Terra Mystica mechanic, the idea of where you've got your player board. And as you take items off the board, it shows things underneath where you remove the item that gives you additional things. I just kind of like how that mechanic works. Can't wait for you to back it. So once again, I get to play it. <laughs> That's it. it the, the bad thing is, though, we're a year away from it coming out. So it's, it's <sighs> going to be a little while. Mm. But anyway, I know that's nothing new to anybody. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're talking about the game everybody else is talking about. But you know what? Uh, this is one of those good guys in the industry. He's, he's made a lot of very popular games, and he's got an, another big hit on his hand. Well, I mean, we can always talk about games no one's talking about. It's not like that would be entertaining. I think there are people out there with the love to hear about games nobody's talking about just to be different. Okay, that's it. Next show. We're going to talk about games <laughs> nobody's talking about that just tweak our interests. I like it. And last thing before we get out of here, Marty, uh, once again, Joel Eddy, you are a man who likes a challenge. You had Marty and I on your um, show for um, doing, talking about LCGs and tried to keep us contained. <laughs> Good job, dude. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yes, Joel had us on one of his uh, episodes uh, where he wanted to count down the top L top five LCG style games, and he knew Tony and I were really into that. So we got on the other night and had a great time talking with him. I think it was a really interesting discussion. And if you want to go check it out, you can go to his YouTube channel and find it there. Plus, we'll put a link in our blog post. And I look like a head floating on top of the bottom third banner. You turned off your lights. It was just this white head kind of bouncing around in the dark. Well, the problem is the lights on behind me were causing a bad shadow. And then, the you know what I found discovered what that was? That was the computer monitor. That's what was so bright. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I happen to notice that, too. Uh, if you watch. The, now, people go watch the uh, YouTube uh, video. There are times when my face light lights up white. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm referencing a document where I have a lot of notes and then I would go back to the hangout, which was dark. <laughs> so it's like lights going on and off, on and off. Yeah. And well, at least I don't have a high def camera. So the ugliness doesn't come through in quality def. Unfortunately, I do. Maybe I should go back to my low def yeah, camera. Tell me about. Well, anyway. Oh, wait. 
Marty, is that the FedEx truck out front? <laughs> Dude, you better go, because if it is, you need to get that game to the table. So guys, keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening to RDTN. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names. Visit our BGG Guild. Like us on Facebook. Hey, Tony, are you DVRing the new Muppet Show? I am. Oh, good, because I think we're starting to run out of Stanley and Waldorf saying, so hopefully they'll give us a new batch. Well, considering it was Statler and Waldorf, shoot, your goof-up was just funnier than that show. Hey, Marty, I don't know if I told you, but, but I had a very good experience with Fun Again's customer service. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, recently, when I was waiting on my order of Ashes and Pandemic Legacy to hit the stores, there was a slight delay in Ashes, and it was holding up Legacy. I couldn't believe that. So I contacted the guys, and within one day, they were able to work through that so that I was able to shift the orders around so my Pandemic Legacy got on the truck. Wow, so they gave you credit for Ashes, and then you were able to place another order to get Ashes later on? Exactly, and what was even great about that is I didn't lose my pre-order status to someone else so that in other words if I had canceled the ashes I may not have gotten it because they may have only had so many copies but nope it went right into the cart and I know it's on its way wow that's great no so by ordering stuff from fun again games they also have great customer service